In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are now halfway through Epiphany, a season when we recall how Jesus came to reveal God's love for all people. Last week, we were reminded how that love reveals the amazing generosity of God. Today's Gospel reinforces that message in an action by Jesus which has even been described as one of reckless generosity. The problem that's arisen at this wedding feast is really quite banal. Someone has messed up and not ordered enough wine. These things happen, regrettable and embarrassing, but hardly the end of the world. We've no way of knowing what the connection was between Mary and the host, or why she imagined that Jesus might come to the rescue. His somewhat abrupt reply suggests that he's not too sure either. Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? But his next words indicate that his hesitation has perhaps more to do with the timing than a reluctance to be helpful. My hour has not yet come. As we read on, it's clear that for the moment he wants to keep out of the limelight. In the other three Gospels, we find Jesus condemning it as a perverse generation, those who look for signs. Yet here we're shown something which comes the closest of all Jesus' recorded signs to what we might be tempted to call magic. What's clear is that what he did was not to be a public demonstration of his powers. It was to be on what today we would call a strictly need-to-know basis. So where's the revelation in that? Only the servants directly involved, and Mary herself, knew what, that he'd been involved, except that is, for the disciples. They've only recently been recruited to join Jesus. They've only just started to get to know this compelling but deeply mysterious person who's called them to leave their previous life and follow him. But the effect on them of this extraordinary event is the very reason why John tells us the story, which none of the other evangelists does. It's all there in the last verse. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, and revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. We need to pause over that word glory. Very clearly, this is not a case where glory can possibly mean visible splendor. The first sign that Jesus did was not witnessed, let alone understood, even by all those present in the room. So glory can't mean that. In fact, I should say, as always, glory means the true nature or character. The sign that Jesus gives to his disciples is the beginning of a process of revealing his character to them as no ordinary man. They're in the presence of someone whose very nature is something more, much more. We really mustn't blame them if they're going to take a lot longer to take it all in. In spite of all the teaching Jesus offers them about himself and his mission, it's only after the resurrection that they really begin to grasp the truth about him. Our Gospels show us a number of instances where they seem to be getting some inkling 
but just as many where they still don't get the point. The protests they all make that they stay with him, whatever the risk to themselves, show that they're quite unable to understand or accept how things are going to turn out. If, as they come to hope and believe, Jesus is the Anointed One and is doing God's work, how can it be that he must face a humiliating trial and die the agonising death of a criminal? In this, the first of his signs, says John, Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. That surely being unduly optimistic. In his previous chapter, John's shown us Nathaniel, who had met Jesus only minutes earlier, boldly declaring, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. If we're to take that literally, he apparently didn't need any miraculous sign to reach that startling conclusion. It's really hard to believe that this could be historically accurate. The disciples can't have left the wedding feast with a fully developed understanding of Jesus and what he was about. What they've gained is a glimpse which, along with many further unexpected and often disturbing experiences yet to come, will gradually build up a relationship with him. And this in turn will allow them to look back after the resurrection and understand things they hadn't been able to make sense of at the time. To be frank, even the fact of the resurrection doesn't make everything instantly fall into place. Luke tells us of a pair of disciples Jesus joins on the way to Emmaus on the evening of Easter Day, and of their hopes concerning Jesus, and how these hopes have been rudely shattered. Even rumours that he's risen fail at first to restore their hope. And Thomas can't trust even his closest friends when they tell him they've seen Jesus alive. He must see for himself. So when we're told as early as the second chapter of John's Gospel that Jesus' disciples believed in him, we must take it only to mean that they started to believe in him. The process has begun that for most of them will continue to develop throughout their lives. And this should give us some encouragement. Mark's Gospel has a lovely story I've cherished from my childhood. Jesus is faced with a father who's brought his sick son to him and says, if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus gives what may seem a rather sharp reply. If you're able, all things can be done for the one who believes. And this prompts the father to come back with the memorable answer, I believe help my unbelief. Or as the New English Bible helpfully puts it, I have faith. Help me where faith falls short. Nobody leaps instantly from a state of unbelief into a fully developed and secure faith all in one go. Some may have had a moving moment of realisation that Jesus is calling them to follow him. But even for them, it's just the beginning of a journey, which will last a lifetime. For most people, the process may start almost imperceptibly. We may be unable to say precisely when it was we first became aware of it. But for all of us, there lies ahead an endless process of growth. 
and it's certainly not going to be continuously smooth and untroubled. There'll be times of doubt, of slipping back, of temptation to throw the whole thing over as a youthful mistake. So one of the reasons I favour the New English Bible's rendering of the Father's reply is the use of the word faith rather than belief. Belief might suggest a set of propositions which God requires us to accept. Faith, on the other hand, consists of building a trusting relationship. Jesus doesn't reveal himself so that we may pass a test on how much we've understood. He reveals himself to us because he wants us as his friends. And beyond that, he wants us to look for other people who could also become his friends. For the disciples, discovery begins with a puzzling experience at a wedding feast. This reveals that in Jesus, God is at work. But it also reveals the very nature of God. The quantity of wine produced is much more than the occasion requires. It's generosity, reckless generosity. Don't count the cost, generosity. And there'll be other examples of this in the accounts of Jesus feeding the crowds who follow him to hear his message. The food he provides doesn't only meet their needs. It produces baskets full of leftovers which are gathered up, not to keep Palestine tidy, but presumably so as to feed others in need. God's acts of generosity performed by Jesus are meant to inspire and enable matching generosity in his followers. Jesus reveals the generous nature of God and thus he calls us, his friends, to reveal that same generosity in our lives. Indeed, God relies on our generosity in order to meet the needs of the world. And we must always remind ourselves that what we think is ours to give away or to hang on to as we please is not ours by right. All things come from you, O Lord, and of your own do we give you. We are being called to be part of God's epiphany, the revealing to the world of God whose nature is love, everywhere expressed in overwhelming generosity, his and ours. Loving Father, our Lord Jesus revealed your love and generosity to humankind. May we respond as the Holy Spirit prompts us to reflect that generosity in our lives and our giving in the service of your kingdom. Amen. Amen.